<laughs> when you read through the scripture, do you ever come across a story that just seems weird? Like you're like, why is that in the Bible? What is, the, what is that even about? There's a few of those in the Old Testament that I'm sure have at some point left you scratching your head going, what on earth is going on there? Like, do you remember the story of, uh, of uh, Absalom's rebellion against David? And, uh, and it kind of all comes to a head and there's a battle between the, the, the army of David against the army of Absalom and uh, Joab, the, the general, kills Absalom in battle and then he has to send word back to David. So he sends a Cushite, and a Cushite would be not an Israelite. I figure he th- thinks this guy's expendable, uh, not one of us. And so he sends a Cushite runner to go. You, does this found, sound familiar? If you've been reading through your Bible, it's like, oh, that's a weird. Uh, so the Cushite takes off, and he's running um, toward, you know, where David's at to tell him. And uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, this loyalist to David, a, a man by the name of uh, Ahimaaz, yeah, thank you, yeah. Ahimaatz, you know, like the song, Lion Sleeps Tonight? Ahimaatz, no, it's not really part of that song. Anyway, Ahimaatz, uh, he, uh, he's like, oh, I want to go tell David. I want, I, you know, I want to tell him. <laughs> and why is this in the Bible? And, and Joab's like, you know, dude, you're, it's not good news. You're not, you're not going to get any reward for, from David because Absalom's dead. Yes, David is one, but Absalom is dead. That's the subtext. And, and Ahimaaz is like, no, 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 send me anyway. Send me anyway. I want to go. I want to go. And, you know, the story is that he takes off and shoots by the, the Cushite. And he, he's just running. There's like a little, like a, like a, like a roadrunner, a little cloud of dust behind him. And, and they see him coming on the horizon. And, and it's Ahimaaz. And he comes and he tells David this. He says, all is well. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my Lord the king. And the king said, is it well with the young man Absalom? That is his son, right? Ahimaaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion and I do not know, don't know what it was. Um, in other words, I don't want to be the one to tell you that they killed your kids. So I'm just going to lie and give you the good news, but I'm not going to give you the bad news at the same time. Now, that's not necessarily why that's in the Bible, but it is an interesting story that kind of relates because we are actually also messengers, like Ahimaaz. We have been sent. Now, you don't have to run. You can run it like marathon style, but we're out there, and we are bearing the name of Jesus. We are carrying his name and carrying his word. And the question today really before us, so this is what I want you to ponder as you think about your own life. Hopefully, you come ready to think about your life uh, with the word of God, you, you compare your life to the word of God and you, you know you fall short and you pray for the Lord to bring you more into conformity with that. Are we fit messengers? Are we fit messengers? Are we ahimaats? Or maybe we're like someone else that we're going to look at today. Um, you know, you think about, man, all of the people that have gone forth in Jesus' name and, and Jesus' disciples, were, they were such a wreck and yet he sends them to, to carry his name and his word. He trusts them to that. Paul trusted a guy by the name of Tychicus. So Tychicus was entrusted to bear the name of Christ and to bear Paul's name. So he's going as a representative of Paul and Jesus. And Paul clearly trusted this guy. And he is a very trustworthy person. That's that's the bottom line. But we're going to look at six characteristics, six traits that we should aspire to. And I'll guarantee you that every person in here falls short of some of these or all of them. 
we probably fall. On some level, we're always falling a little bit short. But these are things that we should want to be said of us as Christians. Like at your funeral, you know, um, and I probably won't be around to do it, but, you know, when, when your funeral comes and they, and they speak about you, these are things you would want to have said, okay? So the big idea today is be a Christian you would trust to represent you and the Lord. Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Well, let's look at trait number one, that you can be trusted to communicate the entrusted message. Tychicus was expected to deliver the, the letter, and with the letter he was to be able to tell them you know, what was going on with Paul. And to do that, Tychicus had to be a guy who knew Paul. He couldn't be a stranger to Paul. He had to be somebody that, that was intimately acquainted with Paul and not just what Paul was doing, like just, well, he happens to be in prison right now. I mean, yeah, we got that, right? But he had to be somebody who knew Paul's heart, spent time with Paul, could communicate when things would come up and they'd say, well, what would Paul say about this? Tychicus had to be that guy. And he really was. Uh, verse 8, he says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. How would anyone carry the message unless they actually knew the person? And if you go back through the life of Tychicus, you all remember Tychicus, right? How many even begin to remember anything at all about Tychicus? Isn't it just one of those, good, that's good. Most people are like, I don't remember that guy. Like, I don't, it just, it's just one of those weird names that come up when you read the Bible. And, but if you go back to the book of Acts, like Acts chapter 20, when Paul was going back to Jerusalem, into the third missionary journey, he's heading back there and he's bringing an offering from the Gentile churches. And not only is he bringing money, but there's a representative from like every church going with him. Uh, they're, they're kind of his entourage, and it's kind of like this great gift that he's bearing with him. Well, Tychicus is mentioned among them. We think he was from, uh, from Ephesus. Uh, that's not 100% certain, but there's, there's one manuscript tradition that, that has him being from Ephesus. He was clearly from Asia Minor. So he makes that trip, goes to Jerusalem. Paul gets arrested. Paul spends several years imprisoned, uh, you know, as he moves through the Roman judicial system, Caesarea Philippi and all that, ends up with the shipwreck and finally to Rome. And we find at the end of Paul's life, uh, I mean, actually we find here that he's with Paul in his first Roman imprisonment. And then at the end of his life in 2 Timothy, we find out that he's there at, at the end and he's just sent him to, to Ephesus. Tychicus knew Paul. Paul knew Tychicus. They were clear, clearly, clearly associated with each other. They knew each other. And so when Tychicus went with the letter, he was not probably just bearing the letter, but he was, he was Paul's personal Paul. You know, he was mini Paul, right? He was the little Paul that could come in there and be Paul to them in the absence of Paul being there. He could speak words that would be the exact same thing that Paul would say. And think about how critical that is. You know, you didn't have the internet. You couldn't shoot somebody an email or Facebook message or anything of that kind. So this had to be how they were going to learn Paul's heart and mind. Years ago, it was probably, uh, probably about 10 years ago, I went to a majority Muslim country and I got to teach at a kind of a clandestine, not utterly secret, somewhat secretive school for pastors. And I taught for uh, the book of Ephesians for a week 
got all my stuff prepared ahead of time, sent it on so that it could be translated. Every day I, I would get up and I would teach these, these pastors in a foreign language with an interpreter. And it was all going great. At least, I mean, it seemed to be going well. And then one evening they had to put a sub in, a different guy. And this guy, this guy, <laughs> I pray for his soul. Um, he was all right. I mean, he just wasn't up to the job. He, he, he clearly had not familiarized himself ahead of time with what had already been translated into his language so that it was there. And he would stop me every half sentence and tell me that I was being unclear in English, you know. It's like, dude, yeah. And there's nothing you can do. I mean, I prayed and, and, and we pushed through, but that is an awful thing to, to have somebody that's supposed to be your, your spokesperson, your mouthpiece, and they're not doing it right. They're not communicating clearly. And here's my question. As Christians, are we any better than that guy? Because we are Christ's voice, as it were. We are the ones that are carrying the message of Jesus wherever we go. Are we Tychicus or are we Ahimaaz? Which, 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 which one do we better fit? Because, you know, I think about pastors. This is a temptation. The Ahimaaz condition is very common to pastors, which is we, we love to tell you the good stuff. You know? And if that brings people in, we'll just keep telling all the good stuff of hope and love and joy and peace and, and all, the, all of the high points in heaven and eternal life. We like talking about that. But what if the text is talking about hell? Yeah, maybe we want to glide over that, you know, not talk so. Or what if it's talking about sexuality and what the Bible says and what's sin and what's not sin? Are, are we supposed to speak to that or are we going to be a himaats about it? And you could just go down the list, church discipline. I know people, I know, and people have spoken to me about this and told me, you know, I hate, I hate it when you talk about church discipline. It's like, well, I don't go looking for it, but it's in the Bible. Am I supposed, am I supposed to just pass that by? I'm not at liberty to do that. It's not my word. I mean, you hear a lot of my words up here, obviously, just, but that's filler. That's filler in order to deliver the word. And I can't just go, okay, you know what? People don't like that, so I'm going to skip over it. And the same thing is true for you. You're the, you know, you're not, maybe you're not pastors, maybe you're not called to preach, but are you out there speaking clearly what you've been taught to say? Or do you hedge? If you're talking to someone and you're, now we talked about the salt last week and about being salty and winsome and when to talk and when maybe be silent, but when you have the open door and you're talking to someone and they're listening, are you going to tell them the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Are you going to deliver? Are you, would you trust you to send on that mission? Are, are we fit messengers? The second trait, you are a beloved brother in the Lord. That's what Paul calls Tychicus, a beloved brother in the Lord. And what does that mean? I saw and uh, I was looking up what some people might think about the word beloved. Uh, and it's interesting that some people think that it's an old-fashioned word. That's You've used the word beloved before, haven't you? Besides just the Bible. You know, we say, oh, that person was a beloved teacher at that high school. They taught there for 30 years or 40 years and they were beloved. Or a coach was beloved. Or a, maybe even a pastor. I mean, you might have to think back a ways. But at some point, you probably had a, a beloved pastor. So what makes that, to, what makes that the case? What makes someone beloved that we would say that? 
Like John Wooden, beloved coach, yes? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Bobby Knight, probably not as beloved. Probably, you probably don't, you know, good, good coach, uh, successful coach, but beloved, probably not the word that people would use of him. Beloved, it suggests a quality in the person that, that makes them dear. Their manner, their character, their, uh, their ability to show interest and, and, and concern for others, the fact that they deeply care about you and they project that. There's usually a gentleness and a kindness, a warmth that comes across, Right? I'm not sure if you're with me or not. Are you with me on that? Yeah? Does that sound like beloved to you? Are are we tracking on the same same page with that? Um, It's somebody that's endeared themselves. By the way, the word endear is kind of a weird word. Have you ever thought about that? I'm just digressing a little bit because when it hit me that the word endear, do you know that there's really not a corollary to endear? I mean, you can say ingratiate, but that actually is a little slimy. Like, that's almost like alienation of affection. We don't use the term in love. Oh, I'm going to go over there and talk to that girl, and I'm going to in love myself to her. We don't, we don't say that. But endear, right? It's that capacity to behave in a way that would make you dear to them. What's going on with Tychicus here? Why is, why is he beloved? And, and, you know, we've already gone over the ground a little bit about what he's been to Paul, but the bottom line was he was always there for Paul. He was beloved. He was, he was someone who, who showed his concern and his compassion for him. I think that you and I should endear ourselves among God's people. How do we do that? What if I'm just kind of a salty dog and that's just who I am? Well, you know what? You can be committed to the church. You can be committed to the gospel. You can be committed to the people around you. You can serve others. You can put their interests ahead of your own. Even if if you have a little brash kind of exterior, people can begin to see that at the heart of it, you care about them, that you're there for them. Think about Mr. Rogers. Now, we don't have to all have the personality of Mr. Rogers, but what was it that endeared him to every child, practically? I'm sure some child somewhere went, this guy gets on my nerves, but, but most little kids watching Mr. Rogers, they're like, oh, you know, and what, and it was, it was a gentleness, it was a coming down to their level, a, a just, a, that, like you could just tell that he wanted to communicate and speak to them in a way that would encourage them and help them, that he was genuinely concerned about them. And we want to have that kind of compassion and interest in the people of God. That we should, be, we should be so committed and caring for each other that people would say of us, no matter what our weird personality might be, uh, that they would still say of us, man, that was a beloved person. They were beloved. Third trait, you have proven faithful in the past. If you're going to send someone on an errand uh, where they're bearing your name, you want them to, you want to be pretty sure that they're going to actually do it. That's like they'll actually make it and they'll actually convey it faithfully the way you expect. And how do you know that unless they have a track record? You remember what Jesus said in the, in the um, parable of the talents where he basically said, if you want to be entrusted with much, first you have to be faithful in little, then, then you can be trusted with more. Tychicus was perpetually faithful in all things. Paul calls him a faithful minister. 
He was a servant that Paul could absolutely trust to go and convey the message. Years ago, many years ago, almost like a galaxy far away, um, Debbie and I were not yet married. And uh, we went to, well, she went to the, this one campus fellowship quite a bit. I visited occasionally. But it, Ball State University was called Campus House, people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And usually during the service, because it, you know, it was a college thing, they would let people choose, a, like, hey, has anybody got something they want to sing? And uh, invariably, it seemed like there would be some female voice going, let's sing Camel Train. And uh, there would be groans from the guys. You'd never heard of the song, right? Has anybody here actually ever heard of the song Camel Train, other than my wife and I? No? Okay. All right. That's, uh, let me give you some, some uh, lyrics to it. Oh, get ready. Evening shadows fall. Don't you hear the Eliezer call? There's going to be a wedding, and our joy will soon begin in the evening when the camel train comes in. You're like, that's a gospel song? I'll say marginally. Marginally. Because it's about the story of Abraham, he had a servant. You remember his name was Eliezer, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham is at the end of, you know, he's practically on his deathbed. He's an old, old man. He wants to get a wife for his son Isaac. And so he sends Eliezer. He makes him swear that he will c- complete the journey and he will do this. And so he goes back and he gets Rebecca and he brings her back. And she steps off the camel and, uh, and Isaac sees her and, oh. Yeah, love, love at first sight kind of a thing. Um, My point, I'm really getting to one here. How did Abraham trust Eliezer? How could he be certain that he could send him 450 miles to, you know, across a a very uh, sparsely populated area that was probably full of all kinds of dangers? How could he trust him to actually go for his his whole, you know, his, his progeny? For the future generations of the children of Abraham, how could he trust him to go all that way and bring a wife, a fitting wife, back for his son Isaac? And, and the answer is because he had always proved faithful. He would proved faithful in many small ways that he would served him all those years. If we want to be used of God, it seems to me that we should earnestly... I say this to young people, okay? This is, this is, this is Jay speaking to you from experience. If you want to be used of God, you have to show yourself faithful along the way in little things, in small things. Because there's no reason a person would trust you with more if you're not faithful with little. And if you're faithful again and again and again with little, then they will absolutely trust you for, for more. One of, the things, one of the joys I have with uh, mentoring young men here at the church that are going on and thinking about ministry is... That, that so often you'll see them just, they're, they're eager and you give somebody a job of any kind to do and then they just pour themselves into it. And that's encouraging. That tells you, yeah, this person's serious about it. They, you gave them a small thing and they're just like, they're just all over it trying to prove that they can do it. That's what we want to have said of us. I remember years ago, a, a person wanted to be on the worship team. You don't know who I'm talking about, so it doesn't matter. This is years and years ago. It was before Jonathan came, for those that remember Jonathan, who's now been gone a couple years from us. But uh, we hadn't yet hired a full-time worship pastor ever. 
And so this was a, a big, bold move we were going to make. And I wanted to plow some ground for the new guy coming in. So I thought, I'm going to lead worship for the next couple months until we get someone. Then everybody will be dying for anybody we get at that point. And I can institute some policy changes so that the new guy won't have to be the bad guy when he gets here. So I said, if we're going to be on the worship team, we have to make it to rehearsal. If you can't make it to rehearsal, you don't want to be on the worship team. That was the policy. And I'll never forget this one person. We won't say male or female, but um, he or she, <laughs> as I spoke to them, they called me. And it was like, uh, what, are you, what, what is this about us having to be at rehearsal? And I'm like, well, because, you know, we, we want to bring God something excellent, something good. So that's why. And, and this person said, well, I am way more musically inclined and gifted than 90% of the people that are on the worship team. I know all of our songs. I don't need to be at rehearsal. And this person had already made a commitment to a hobby that he or she had for that evening of the week. And I said, well, you know, in that case, um, thank you for your service. And if you ever want to be on the worship team again, and you can put that aside and commit, we'll gladly take you back. And then they left the church. But... Um, yeah. Are we willing? Are, can we be faithful? Even in the church, even in things that are volunteer, we ought to have that sense of faithfulness. Fourthly, you're a slave to Christ. At the end of the, uh, verse 7, Paul calls Tychicus a fellow servant in the Lord. But the word servant there is the same word that gets translated bondservant, i.e. a slave. And that makes sense because Paul's talked to the slaves. Paul's sending Onesimus back to Philemon, the runaway slave. So it makes sense that when he uses that word here, it's not just servant that he's saying of Tychicus. It's, it's that word slave. Look back to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7.22. Paul says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ, meaning a person in chains, in bonds. They're a slave. Well, Paul was that very thing. He was in chains in the Roman imprisonment. Was Tychicus, was Tychicus technically a Roman prisoner at this moment? Paul's referring to him as if he were a co-prisoner you know, co in chains, but he wasn't because he's able to make the journey. So what do you think Paul's saying there? He's speaking about metaphorical chains here, isn't he? He's, he's talking about a, an enslavement of, of heart and mind and conscience. He wasn't in physical bonds, but Tychicus is absolutely bound to Paul, bound to the cause of the gospel, and will do anything, anything required of him. He's a slave to Christ. We owe everything to Christ from the moment you come to Jesus and I know some people like to split it into two pieces and say, well, you can come to Jesus and be saved, and then later you can make him Lord. That is not a biblical teaching anywhere. Now, I understand the theory behind it, but it, and, and yes, we may experience times in our life where we sort of recommit to Christ and, and, and we're more aware of his lordship. But when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to his lordship immediately. He is Lord. You confess Jesus Christ is Lord. That's from the get-go. Then you, you have died with Christ, Paul says. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You, you belong to him. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When we come to Jesus, we die to our old self. All of those, you know, all of those fancy freedoms and, and rights and privileges that we talk about in society, those things don't matter when it comes to your relationship with Christ. You relinquish all of those things. Now, it can be said of you that you are his friend, that you are his uh, child, that you are his brother, that you're the bride, and all of those things are true, but it's also true of you that you are his slave. You belong to him. You answer to him. Are there any areas in your life where you know you're pushing back against the Lord? Are there things that he's calling you to do? Could be something as simple as like a, a rehearsal. Like, yeah, I don't want to make time for that. Or, you know, I'm, and I'm going really low fruit there. Uh, you know, that's low bottom shelf stuff. But are there areas of ministry, perhaps? Or something that he's calling you relationally, you know, to, to turn away from or turn toward? Or is, is there something where you know his lordship is on the line and you're just basically telling him to go fly a kite? Because you still haven't made up your mind. If, Jesus, if you know Jesus is calling you to a thing, you're obligated to obey him because he is our master. He is our master. Tychicus was sold out. Paul was sold out. Are you sold out today? Are you sold out? Fifth trait, you can encourage his people. Look at Colossians uh, 4.8. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And we love encouragement. Who doesn't love encouragement in here? You love to have people come along and say, man, you're so cool, you're so good, you're so great, you're doing such a good job. Yay, you. Pat you on the back. That's good. That's good. We should be encouragers. But actually the word encourage here means more to exhort. <laughs> It means more to tell people what they need to hear, even if, they, if, even if they don't particularly want to hear it. It's not just an attaboy, it's also a, a giddy-up, you know, kind of a, uh, you're, you're heading the wrong direction, you know, turn over, you know, what, whatever it might be, you need to turn, turn and change your course. Paul is sending them Tychicus. Tychicus is a preacher. It doesn't come out here in the text, but when you look at other uh, places in the Scripture, for instance, in uh, 2 Corinthians 8.18, Paul mentions one man who is famous for preaching the gospel. And uh, many Bible scholars believe that this is Tychicus. Paul sends uh, Tychicus at the end of his life to go uh, relieve Timothy at Ephesus. Earlier, he's considered to be one of the people he may send to Cyprus to relieve Titus. So... Uh, so he was a man capable of preaching. And I think what the Colossians ended up getting was not just a letter. I mean, I think maybe we, you know, because we know he carries the letter with him, and maybe we just picture that he goes, oh, yeah, here, oh, I got a piece of mail for you. Yeah, have, have a read when you get a chance. No, I mean, he's like reading it publicly to them. He's making commentary on it. He's probably doing this multiple times. He's preaching as if he were Paul. He's bold in proclaiming Christ. He's probably resisting the false teachers. Like in the same way that Paul comes out speaking against the false teachers, um, he's, he's there, you know, calling them out and saying, remember, Christ is a substance. Don't, you know, don't, don't turn away from, from Christ is a substance toward these, these lesser things. That's Tychicus just preaching it. He was there to encourage and exhort them to remain faithful in the gospel. 
Here's the question for us. Are you competent? Are you competent to exhort your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Are you competent and able to speak into their lives? You say, Pastor, that's your job. You're a preacher. And preacher is almost synonymous with one who exhorts. So that's on you. No, <laughs> not entirely, not entirely. I'm not going to say that I'm, that I'm not uh, called to do that. But look at Hebrews 3.13. It says, but exhort one another. It's the exact same word as in our text. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what's that say? It's talking about the deceitfulness of sin. It's saying we should exhort one another. It's telling us that we ought to be there to speak to our brothers and sisters in the Lord and call them to holiness and call them to obedience. Call them to come back if they've left. Call them to turn away if they're in sin. That is on us. Be the person you would send. If you were Jesus or you were Paul and you wanted to send a brother to, to be faithful and to exhort others, be that person that you would send. Finally, you're a risk-taker, disciple-maker. Risk-taker, disciple-maker. Verse 9, And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So the name of Onesimus, how many have heard Onesimus before? You know who he is? Yep, he was a runaway slave. Paul, um, Tychicus is probably also carrying with him the letter to Philemon. Philemon was from Colossae, uh, it would appear, from what, you know, the pieces that we put together. And, um, and so Onesimus is headed back. He's going to be reunited with Philemon. You can read the book of Philemon to understand what's going on there. Apparently when Paul says that Onesimus is one of them, he's saying that he's a Gentile and that he was from Colossae. Now Paul is confident that Onesimus is going to go back there the way he's been told to do. Yeah, he's a runaway slave. He doesn't 100% know how Philemon's going to react. But Paul's confident that he will go. Now, if you're Tychicus, are you confident? If you're Tychicus, are you willing to take that risk? Think about what Tychicus is going to do here. He's taking this unproven guy. I mean, as far as we know, Onesimus, by the providence of God, somehow ended up in Rome after fleeing Colossae, after fleeing Philemon. He ends up coming to the Lord through the preaching of Paul there and spends some time with him there while Paul is in prison. But as far as we know, he hasn't been sent out to do anything in the name of the Lord. And uh, Antichicus is given the job of taking him with him. Now, if it were me, I might think that that was too big a risk. Why would you take somebody that's unproven? Do you remember what happened with John Mark on the first missionary journey? Has Paul learned nothing? And now he's sitting, you know, I would be thinking, man, what happens if I'm Tychicus and I get arrested by Romans, you know, on the way and I'm in the company of a fugitive slave? Wouldn't that make me a felon? I don't know. Tychicus doesn't seem to pay it any heed. He takes Onesimus under his wing. He delivers the letter as asked. He takes, he, he takes a disciple-making interest in Onesimus the same way Paul had discipled him. When you're intentional in friendships for the sake of the gospel, 
When you put yourself out there and you speak into another person's life and you share a pound of salt with them and you try to to help them become a, a more mature Christian, you're taking a risk. Not every disciple-making relationship will end up exactly in the way you hope it will. Because some people will just eventually just stop showing up. You know, you, you, met, you have an agreement, hey, let's go to church together and, and maybe we can spend some time, we'll, we'll have a coffee and, and we'll go over some scripture, or whatever it might be. And you don't know. You don't know if they will prove to be faithful in that. They may end up hurting your feelings or sometimes it goes the opposite way and they become like, uh, they think you're, you've adopted them and, and you, can't, you feel like you can't breathe. And by the way, there is a place for you know, having good boundaries in those kinds of relationships and so forth. But uh, my point is, discipleship isn't always an easy street. I'm trying to imagine a conversation between Paul and Tychicus. You know, okay, Tychicus, I need you to take Onesimus with you. Written a long letter. You probably see me working in the wee hours of the morning on it. And I want you to carry it. Don't let it get wet. I don't have a Ziploc. Just uh, try to keep it dry. And uh, I need to go to Colossae, these many hundreds of miles and sea journey and all that. And oh, by the way, I need you to take Onesimus with you. Tychicus, you know. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take the letter. But I don't know. I think this is a little sketchy taking Onesimus along, quite frankly. You think that conversation took place? I don't know. I don't know. The question isn't, though, whether it took place then. The question is today, if the Lord says to you, I want you to engage with this younger believer who needs somebody to come alongside of them. If the Lord speaks to you in that way, and I'm not talking about a dream, but, but he makes it kind of obvious to you that that's the opportunity of the time and the moment, are you going to take that? Knowing the risk. You risk hurt feelings. You risk getting busy, busy with things when you'd rather be doing something fun or entertaining and instead you're, you're meeting with that person. Will you say yes when the Lord puts that on your heart? And that might be, that might be like joining a cluster. I know, we, you know we, we tell you about this cluster idea and it's really a disciple-making relationship of three people that meet regularly. And if you have that opportunity, would you take it? You say, well, I don't really need that. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't think I need a cluster. It's not about you. I mean, it doesn't have to be about you. It shouldn't be just about you. I, there might be two other people in the world who might just need a friend, who might just need somebody to come alongside and disciple them and put, put life into them. Would you say yes to that? Would you be the kind of person Jesus would send on, on a mission of that kind. Are you a risk taker? Are you a disciple maker? Okay. Beloved. And I can say beloved because you are beloved. It's, if I give the impression that, that you have to earn the status of being beloved, that's not, that's not the case. We are already, if we are in Christ, we know we are beloved in him. That we have been loved by him. But have we made ourselves fit to be a trustworthy messenger of the gospel, to bear his name? Have I shown myself to be that kind of servant who can be entrusted with the gospel message? Have I been faithful along the way? Would people say of me, man, that, that guy or that gal, they really put themselves into it with all their heart. Can I be entrusted, therefore, with more responsibility? 
Do I know myself to be a slave of Christ? Or do I still think that I call all the shots? Am I a risk taker? Am I a disciple maker? Would I send me? If I had a business, we'll just call this business, oh, I don't know, Acme or the gospel. (laughs) Say you own that business. Would you hire you? Would you, put, would you put you out in the front to greet people coming in? Would you send you somewhere to deliver a message? Am, am, I making, am I striving to grow in the person that Christ wants me to be? And I do hasten to say this can only be done in Christ. If you're here today, you're not a believer in Christ, please don't hear the wrong message. We're not saying to you, In order to be beloved of God, you have to do all these things and become this perfect person. That is not what we're saying. To come to Christ, to have eternal life, is to turn to him in repentance and believe upon him. And you will have eternal life. You will come into union with Christ. But the person you're coming into union with is the Lord of the universe. You are calling him Lord. You are accepting him as your Lord and Savior. And so he has a whole plan for your life from that point on to grow you and to use you, to order you around, to put, to put you into places where he wants the word to go. And that's when you'll be fit for that. And, and we would love to be part of that disciple making. We'll take a risk. We'll take a risk on you. So come to the Lord and uh, and uh, be that kind of person that he would send. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we don't want to, to be an Ahimaaz that only is um, able or willing to bear good news. We want to be available to you to share in, in tough times and easy times with, with the joyful message, but also, Lord, with the full word and to speak even when, when that word isn't well received by those that we're going to. I pray, Lord, that you would just put us into the lives of other people and that you would help us to be faithful in that. We pray that we can learn something from Tychicus today and be the kind of people that can be sent, bearing your name, your, your holy name, and your holy word. And Father, if there's someone here that, or maybe listening online, um, that hears this, I pray that, that they would hear the gospel loud and clear, that this is a message of grace, that they cannot earn it or deserve it, but that Christ has purchased everything for us on the cross and that we, but, we must but turn to him and believe in order to be saved. And we pray that you would do that work in someone's heart and life today. In his name, amen.